Oh, good morning. Welcome to the Aliyah Day. Glad that you are with me as we are concluding the parasha of Bamidbar, the first Aliyah, or excuse me, the first parasha of the book of Bamidbar, of course. And not only that, but it is prep day. We're getting ready for the Holy Sabbath, which this Shabbat is not only the Shabbat of uh, God's precious, you know, kingdom, but it is also Erev Shavuot. So we celebrate this uh, weekend, the giving of God's Holy Torah, which uh, thank God for his word, thank God for his Torah, thank God for his, his path, his direction. Uh, thank you, Hashem, that we're able to, you know, celebrate uh, you and uh, keep your, your divine word, Baruch Hashem. Thank God for the living Torah, Messiah Yeshua, the true Mashiach of Israel, who um, has ultimately made atonement for us, Baruch Hashem. So we get to celebrate all of that uh, this weekend. So we want you to be a part of it. We want you to join us. We're going to have a um, Tikkun Leil Shavuot, an all-night uh, Torah study in the upper room, as it were, of our synagogue in the second second story. Uh, we're going to have, we have a, a, a large meeting room up there. We're going to have our Torah study there. It's going to last all night long for those who aren't scared, <laughs> for those who uh, who have the ability to do so and and what have you. It's not a contest. It's just an opportunity to uh, to spend the whole night uh, making tikkun, making reparation of the world, and studying God's uh, holy Torah. And with Hashem's help, we're going to live stream that event so that those of you who um, watch from uh, across the Fruited Plain and other parts of the world can be a part of it as well with God's help. Now, we've never uh, live streamed from that room, and Shlomo, our faithful uh, building manager here, has been uh, working his, his little fingers to the proverbial bone, making that, uh, making that happen. So uh, trying to get all the necessary uh, wires and all this kind of stuff that has to happen in order to, uh, you know, make all that happen. So... Bezrat Hashem, it will go off perfectly and flawlessly, and life will be good. And I want to give a shout out to our uh, Sar Shalom Tulsa. Yesterday they signed a lease on a, a space to begin having their Shabbat services there. So Mazal Tov to our, uh, our Lepidniks there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, <clears throat> and what they are doing. If you live in or around Tulsa and you're, you've been you know, watching this or, or broadcast or listening to this podcast and you had no idea that there were people right there in your community that are Lepidniks, then you should know that they exist. And so if you want to connect with them, send us a message or something and uh, we can connect you with them or you can get on Facebook and look up Sar Shalom Tulsa. And connect with uh, with them there, and be a part of of that amazing um, uh, new group that is forming there, and bringing in the holy sparks of Oklahoma, Baruch Hashem. And so that is amazing. That is awesome. That is marvelous. And so uh, hallelujah for all of that. 
All right, I want us to look at the uh, fifth and, excuse me, the sixth and seventh aliyah in the um, Parasha Bamidbar. We are in Capitulo Tres, that is chapter three of the book of uh, Numbers. We are on uh, page 643, did I say that right? I don't know. Anyway, 743. For all of you Sephardic Jews, we try to do our part here to keep our Sephardic Jews in the loop. So we're page 743 in the Art Scroll Chomash. And so we are going to begin on uh, verse 40. Here it is. Ready? Go. Adonai said to Moses, Count every firstborn male of the children of Israel from one month of age and up, and take a census of their names. You shall take the Levites for me. I am Adonai. In place of every firstborn of the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites, in place of every firstborn of the animals of the children of Israel, Moshe counted as Adonai had commanded him every firstborn of the children of Israel, every firstborn male according to the number of the names, from one month of age and up according to their number, was 22,273. Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Take the Levites in place of every firstborn of the children of Israel, and livestock of the Levites in place of the livestock, and the Levites shall be mine. I am Adonai. And as for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel who are in excess of the Levites, you should take five shekels from each according to the head count and the sacred shekel. Shall you take the, le- the shekel is 20 gara. You shall give the money to Aaron and his sons as redemption of the additional ones among them. Verse 49, Moshe took the money of the redemption from those who were in excess of redemption. (coughs) Slika, turn the page here. Of the Levites, from the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 in the sacred shekels, Moshe gave the money, the redemptions, to Aaron and his sons according to the word of Adonai, as Adonai had commanded Moshe. Chapter 4. Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, by the way, this is the seventh Aliyah reading we are now transitioned into. <coughs> um, so it says, Moshe, Take a census of the sons of Koath from among the sons of Levi, according to their family, according to the father's household. From the 30 years of age and up until 50 years of age, everyone who comes to the legion to perform the work and attend a meeting. This is the work of the sons of the Koath in the tent of meeting, the most holy. When the camp is to journey, Aaron and his son shall come and take down the partition curtain and cover the ark of the testimony with it. They shall place upon it the takash skin covering and spread a cloth entirely of turquoise wool over it and adjust its staves. By the way, the word turquoise there in the Yevrael is techelet, the same uh, color that is uh, on the seat seat, right? For some reason, Art School um, um, says this to be turquoise. Uh, lot, most other translations always say blue because it actually looks, in my opinion, more blue than turquoise. But nevertheless, it's techelet. So it says, upon the table of the showbread, they shall spread a cloth of turquoise, that's again techelet, wool, and place upon it the dishes, the spoons, the pillars, and the shelving tubes, and the constant bread shall remain on it. They shall spread over them a cloth of scarlet wool and cover it with a covering of tachash skin. 
and in place its staves. They shall take a cloth of tchelet wool and cover the menorah of illumination and its lamps and its tongs and its spoons and all the vessels of its oil with which they ministered to it. Verse 10. They shall place it and all its utensils in a covering of tchash skin. The tchash, by the way, we don't know what the tchash is. I shared this one time and I, somebody gave me the source that I, I think I've repeated that uh, there is at least a few opinions <coughs> that the Takash was actually a unicorn. Yes, my friends, you heard it here first. You always thought the unicorn was make-believe. Well, evidently not. So it says, and place it on the pole. I don't know if the, if the unicorn eats candy. Probably not, but it's not make-believe. Verse 11, upon the gold altar they shall spread a cloth of, of turquoise wool and cover it with a covering of tachash skin and place its staves. They shall take all the utensils of service with which they serve in the sanctuary and place them on the cloth of turquoise wool and cover them with a covering of tachash skin and place them on a pole. They shall clear the ash from the altar and spread a cloth of purple over, wool over it. They shall place upon it all the utensils with which they minister upon it, the fire pans, the forks, the shovels, the basins, all the utensils of the altar, and spread over the covering of Takash skin and in place its staves. Verse 15, Aaron and his son shall finish covering the holy and all the holy utensils when the camp journeys, and then the sons of Koath shall come to carry it, so they not touch the sanctuary and die. These are the burden of the sons of Koath in the tent of meeting. I want you to that, that that phrase there is interesting. It says these are the these are the burden of the sons of Koath in the tent of meeting. The burden of the sons of Koath was to carry, primarily to carry the Ark of the Covenant. That was their quote unquote burden. Interestingly, is that the sages bring down in various places that when the children of Israel would, were, were holy, righteous, and they were doing things properly. When the children of Koath would carry the ark, which you imagine the ark is a wooden box <coughs> overlaid with pure gold. So it's very heavy. It's very heavy. And, and then plus it's got uh, some, some stone tablets inside, some manna, what have you, and so it's heavy. So what happened, though, is when they would carry the ark, that God would actually put his hand under the ark and he would, he would literally be lifting the ark himself. And as a result, the sages bring down that when the, the children of Koath would carry the ark, it was literally light as a feather. So the reality is, is that when we are, everybody, everybody says that the, the Torah is a burden, Right? The law, the law, the law of Moses. The law is a burden. It weighs you down. But the reality is, no. When you're walking it out, when you're, when you're carrying it, when you're living it, it is actually light as a feather. This is why Yeshua said, bring me your burdens and take upon yourself my yoke, my burden, because my burden is light and easy. What is his burden? He's the living Torah. If you walk out the Torah, you're going to have an easy time of it. You know, life has its challenges, but believe me, it's a lot more challenging when you're not walking in God's, God's ways. Can I get an amen? Thank you. All right. <clears throat> it says here. Uh, oh, yes. Verse 16. 
The charge of Eliezer, son of Aaron, and the Kohen is the oil of illumination, the incense spices, the meal offering, the continual offering, and the anointment oil. The charge of the entire tabernacle and everything in it, the sanctuary and its utensils. Adonai spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Do not let the tribe of Kohathite families be cut off from among the Levites. Thus shall you do for them, so that they shall live and not die when they approach the Holy of Holies. Aaron and his son shall come and assign them, every man to his work and his burden, but they shall not come and look as the holy is inserted, lest they die. I just want to point out again, it's interesting how the word burden is used there again with, with respect to um, carrying out the commandments of God. We, when we think about the word burden in English, um, it has a, a negative connotation. It's something that's heavy, something that's difficult, what have you. But it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. A burden is simply your responsibility. It doesn't have to mean that, oh, it's such a burden. But that's how we use it. And so in modern times, uh, maybe not necessarily in modern, modern times, but anyway, when we uh, use that phrase, um, people think about a burden being something that's difficult. We talk about beasts of burden. Well, um, if many of you who've been around um, horses and mules and things like that that carry uh, cargo, they're not necessarily struggling. Um, those, those animals can be very, very strong, and they can carry uh, a lot of weight and uh, it not really bother, bother them. Ne nevertheless, it's their burden. The point being is that our burden is to serve God, and having a burden is not necessarily a difficult thing. We just think about it that way, but it's not necessarily difficult. So um, looking at some insights here. I want to bring out an insight from um, actually yesterday's Aliyah we didn't quite get to. This is from Rabbi Monk to verse 38. Verse 38 says, uh, verse 38 of chapter 3, says, those who encamped before the tabernacle to the front, before the tent of meeting to the east, were Moses and Aaron and his sons, guardians of the charge of the sanctuary. For the charge of the children of Israel, any alien who approaches it will die. <clears throat> so it says, those who encamped before the tabernacle. So the Zohar quotes Rabbi Yose, who teaches that there are many places in which man can pitch his tent before Adonai where those who have repented may camp, no ordinary righteous person may camp. This goes back to an ideology in Judaism that, uh, and, it, and it runs counter, it runs contrary to what most people think, right? Most people think that if you grew up in a Jewish home and you come from uh, 10 generations of elite rabbis who... Um, never sinned, and walked on clouds of glory, and knew the entire Torah by heart. They were a walking Google for the Talmud and the Midrash Rabbah, the Zohar, and all the other commentaries. And uh, you grew up in, a, uh, in this type of environment that basically, you know, that's the elite of the elite, the creme de la creme, um, and basically it's, it's, a, it's an instant ticket into Shemayim, and uh, don't no need to pass go, just 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 enter right in, right? Okay. Um, but actually, that's not true. So, in the eyes of Judaism, the elite of the elite, the creme de la creme, 
the, the one that gets the proverbial red carpet rolled out for them, so to speak, is the one who has repented and returned to the fold. This is why Yeshua said that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one who comes back, right? Over one lost sheep who's found, over one person who's saved, so to speak, than over everything else and all the over uh, the other 99. That's why he said it. It's, what he said was 100% consistent with Jewish thought, only with one caveat. And here's the caveat. The sages point out that the prophets, regular prophets, could not prophesy about what goes on in Shemayim. They weren't they they didn't they didn't know. They couldn't prof, they couldn't tell you what happens in heaven. Why? Because I, you could say they've never been there, which uh, technically we've all been there because our souls come from there, but we don't remember. The point being is we're just human. So if you're a prophet, you're just a man, you're just a human. You don't know what it's like, so therefore you can't prophesy. This is what the sages say. The prophets were not able to prophesy about what goes on in Shemayim. So when Yeshua starts telling us what's going on in Shemayim, like there's a party for somebody who becomes a Balchuva, the people are, are not given or receiving in marriage, etc., 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 that's phenomenal, my friends, because no other prophet was able to prophesy about what goes on in Shemayim. Why? Was he able to? Because if you've seen the Father, you've seen him. He was Mimtet. So anyway, going back to this comment, where do we camp? And isn't it interesting that Rabbi Monk says, quoting from the Zohar, that teaches that there's many places to pitch a camp before Hashem. And then it just says, where those who have repented may camp, no ordinary righteous person may camp. So the person who makes tshuva, the person who who repents, who comes back. Uh, and there was a there was a there was a an insight I read last week, and I, I don't recall where I read it, but it was talking about the the non-Jews being the the lost sheep or the wild sheep out there, and that one day they would re, they would actually come and be part of the sheepfold and of course it was talking about converts and again that's exactly what yeshua said and and uh what was it uh, luke chapter 10 i believe it is where he said there's sheep not of this fold and they're going they are going to come all right so if you have repented and you've made your way back to hashem and you've pitched your tent in his camp guess what you, uh, that song can't touch this. It's all about you. So furthermore, those who are messengers of Adonai may camp in his courtyard, as it is stated. Happy are those whom you choose and whom you draw towards you. They shall dwell in your courtyard. Another category consists of those who struggle all their lives with all their might, offering to Adonai their very existence. They will dwell in the best chambers of your house, in the sanctity of your palace. The Zohar continues with another category. Now, this is, goes back to something I've said many times. Um, perhaps most of you have already heard this, heard me talk about it. 
maybe if you're new, you haven't yet. And so anyway, this is a very important point I'm about to read when it comes to the Mashiach, Messiah Yeshua. It says, the Zohar continues with another analogy. The kings of the house of David who are alone are permitted, I'm, I'm sorry, who alone are permitted to assume a sitting position in the inner courtyard of the temple. All others are required to stand. So there are there is some debate by people um, who wonder, you know, was Yeshua actually the line of David? Was he actually the tribe of Judah? I've, I've actually read that nonsense before where people say, well, you know, how do we know if he was the line of David, blah, blah, blah. Well, the, one of the ways we know is because every time he went to the temple, he sat down. Even when he was 12 and he went and uh, was, uh, remember he was teaching the, the elders at 12? It says he, they, he, he was sitting among them. And, and the thing is, no one ever told him to get up. Because no one is allowed to sit in the temple. Nobody. Not even the high priest. Why? Because the temple on earth is a microcosm of Shemayim in heaven. And everybody in heaven, including the angels, stand. Only God is allowed to sit. So likewise... The kings of Israel, this is what it means to be a son of God, by the way. A son of God doesn't mean your baby boy. He mean, It means the king of Israel. So only a son of God, i.e. a king of Israel, is allowed to sit in the temple because the king sits on God's throne, as it were. This is what made Caiaphas and his other kangaroo court members so mad when they were having the Ill illegal trial of the Messiah at night, which is forbidden by Jewish law, which only serves to show that it was an illegitimate court and had no real basis. So when people say, well, well, we, all, we, already, we already determined that he wasn't Mashiach. No, you didn't. There was no trial ever held, really. It was just a bunch of uh, phony baloney, plastic banana, good time rock and roll stuff. But anyway... Um, what made Caiaphas and the boys so angry was that Yeshua said, when they asked him, tell us the truth, I charge you in the name of Hashem. Tell us the truth, are you the Mashiach? And he said, it is as you say, you will see the Son of Man sitting, sitting, sitting at the right hand of power. That is why they blew their stack. Because now he's saying he's going to sit in heaven like he was sitting in the temple. But when they came to arrest Yeshua, they said, he asked him, he says, listen, I was sitting in the temple all the time and you did not arrest me. So but basically, my friends, I want y'all to use deductive reasoning, which is your superpower, and say only a king of Israel from the line of David could sit in the temple. Yeshua sat in the temple. Yeshua was from the line of David. See how that worked? That was so marvelous. You just destroyed all kinds of bad guys with that one superpower. Mazalto. All right. Um, it says in verse 47 here, Rabbi Monk says that uh, 20 gara per shekel, this is what we were to redeem, uh, redeem with. I just want to point out uh, that he points out, as he's quoting Rashi, that this was the very price that was paid for Yosef. Yosef was sold for 20 pieces of, of silver. 
And this, these 20 pieces of silver is what made up the atonement money. So I just want to point out there's a correlation there that um, the, the um, Messiah ben Yosef figure, okay, Yosef himself, was actually betrayed, so to speak, by his brothers for a, an amount of silver. And we see that with Yeshua as well. Um, another comment. This is going back to what I just said about sitting. This is very a similar thought here. It says, and the and the cover of the ark of the testimony with it. This is uh, going into chapter four, looking at verse five. Verse five says, when the camp is to embark, Aaron and his sons shall come and take down the the, the partition curtain, and cover the ark of the of the testimony with it. So it says, Aaron and his sons were to cover the holy vessels and then give them to the Levites to be transported. They were to take down the parochet that serves as a screen before the Ark of the Testimony and cover the Ark with it. Upon that, they were to put a covering made of tachash hide, and upon that, a cloth of blue wool. The other vessels... The other holy vessels and the inner table, the menorah, the altars of gold and copper were also covered with uh, scarlet wool and blue over that and a covering of tachash hide. So the holy ark was the only uh, piece of furniture, if you will, that had the cover of tachelet on the outside. The the cover of tachelet was the outer covering of of the um of the ark whereas all the other pieces of furniture the outer covering was the tachash okay so it says that this is because the ark was the kise hakavod which is the throne of Hashem, which is always surrounded by the blue of the heavens so um when we talk about god sitting on his throne okay we are not talking, and I've mentioned this before, but again, for review or perhaps somebody hasn't heard it before, the, the, the throne of God is not a chair. It's not a seat. It is actually the Ark of the Covenant. So uh, let's just take a, a second here and, and just review something. So the Ark of the Covenant is called the Ark of the Covenant. It derives its holiness from one important thing, if you will, which in Hebrew, the word thing in devar, which means word, is the same word. So if you want to say thing in Hebrew, you would say devar, which devar means word. So <laughs> it's kind of a fitting uh, word to use when we say the thing, the devar, the word that is inside the Ark of the Covenant is what makes the Ark of the Covenant the Ark of the Covenant and gives its holiness. In other words, the essence of God's throne, that is the Ark of the Covenant, is God's holy Torah. Therefore, if we uh, nullify, abrogate, uh, do away with whatever the Torah of God, we are in essence pulling God's throne out from underneath him, has Ve shalom. You see? All right. Um, so 
there's another comment here. This, this is another uh, good reminder. They shall clear the ashes from the altar. Rabbi Monk points out, even when the camp moved, two aspects of the service continued. First, fire remained on the altar. As the Talmud, as the Talmud puts it, the fire which descended from heaven crouched beneath the cloth like a lion, but did not burn it because a plate of copper was placed on top of it. Yoma 21b. And second, the constant bread remained upon the table, consistent with the requirement, you shall set constant bread upon the table before me always. So I, I made note of that because it's a good reminder that God started the fire. Okay? And it was the responsibility of the priest and the Levites to keep the fire burning. Um, and we've talked about this uh, recently. When, when people, uh, and, and we all go through this from time to time, every single person goes through this from one time to another, where you feel your, your spiritual um, uh, fervor is not quite as passionate as it was yesterday or the week before or last month or whatever. People express it in different ways. I, I, I don't feel joyful anymore. I, I don't feel excited anymore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, first rule of thumb, we never should base um, this type of thing on feelings, right? We don't stay marriage, married because of feelings, right? We don't stay married to our spouses because, you know, I just feel like I love my spouse today. I think I'll remain married to them. No, we, we stay uh, married because of commitment. And sometimes, uh, let's face it, let's, the, the little secret in the room is sometimes our, our spouses uh, bug us, right? And, but, and we don't always feel so uh, romantic. Now, that's not true between me and my wife. I, that's, that doesn't apply to us. Uh, but others out there, this, is, this applies to them. <laughs> So, uh, but look, we don't, we don't base our lives on feelings. That's number one. So don't be emotion based. All right. Number two, um, if we are feeling that the fire is, is bur not burning as hot, if we feel like it's kind of going out, if we feel like it has gone out, if we feel like it's kind of smoldering, um, whose responsibility is to fix it? Your friend, your buddy, God, Messiah? No, 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 no. The responsibility to fix it is yours. The responsibility to keep the fire going on the altar of your heart that God kindled is yours. Ouch, I know. You say, I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel uh, I'm as passionate Okay, why not? So get passionate. So how do we do that? We keep bread on the table. What's bread? God's holy word. We get into his word. We, we get into prayer. We go back and talk to Hashem. We ask God to help us get our fire back. That's, um, that's one way in, uh, in which we... We kindle the fire, but I just, the point being is that the responsibility, my friends, to keep the fire burning is, is, uh, yours. And I can tell you right now from personal experience, when the fire goes out or when it begins to, uh, to wane, um, it's not anybody's fault. It's, it's usually can be traced back to just, uh, it's just life, just life. Life happens, life gets us down, changing your, your environment won't help, right? 
Changing your environment won't help. Okay, so what will the only thing that will help is prayer and study and getting excited about God again. I've, we talked about this earlier this week. It's you got to go on a date night with God. It's time to go on a date night. All right, one final thing. Um, there's a couple of things I wanted to share, but we'll get to that later. Um, I just want to share one final thought because we're out of time already. Can you believe it? Here it is. It says, during the first temple, Israel made an error. That is, when they, this is, this is a comment, by the way, to, to verse 20, the, the final verse um, of our um, portion. It says, the sacrifices in the temple service are a means to bring us closer to Hashem and to do His will in all areas of life. They're a means to bring us closer to Hashem to do His will. Yet, they are, they, in the first temple, they were looked upon as an end unto themselves. How many times have the prophets warned us about the danger in making this error? The temple service, the sacrifices of the moment are not, 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 not the essence of serving Hashem. The sacrifice is not the essence of serving Hashem. He who brings a sacrifice does not thereby automatically fulfill the will of his creator. Jeremiah declares, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, and will you then stand before me in the house which is called by my name and say, we are delivered, that you may do all these abominations? This is from Jeremiah 7, 9 through 10. The problem in the first temple that led to the demise was that everybody thought that the sacrificial service, all you had to do is go offer a sacrifice and, and how you lived your life was kind of, you know, not all that important. And so the message to us is, is that the, the, the sacrifices were intended to draw us close to God so that we would live for God as the living sacrifice ourselves. And so we, when I say that, many of you are nodding your head out there and you're saying, yes, of course, that's right, man, that makes total sense. And here's, here's the doozy, though. You ready for it? Here it comes. This applies to the sacrifice of Yeshua also. We're not allowed to look at the sacrifice of Yeshua as a means unto itself, whereby we can stand before God and have the sacrifice of Yeshua in our proverbial hands and, and ask him to just ignore the way we live. No. The sacrifice of Yeshua was intended to bring us close to God, to draw us near to him so that we can live for him. Not, Yeshua didn't come to live for us. He came to die for us that we can live for God. And so, let us remember that fact. Yes, atonement is found in Yeshua. Yes, he paid the ultimate price. Absolutely. And we need to live for God and follow his holy Torah. That's what Hashem called us to do. End of our Aliyah today. I want you to have a wonderful, amazing prep day. Remember, this is Shavuot coming up. So be prepared for that magnificent holiday. There is no Havdalah on Saturday or Sabbath night because we go right from Shabbat right into Shavuot. You can light and should light candles. I, uh, I, should, I say should. Uh, it's a it's it's mitzvah or whatever to light the Sabbath can, or excuse me the Yom Tov candles for Shavuot. However, you can only do that from an existing flame. So if you have one of those twenty four hour uh, candles that you can light and you can do so safely 
and leave it uh, lit for the entire Shabbat, then you can kindle your Yom Tov candles from that existing flame. If you do not have an existing flame, perhaps it's not safe to have one or whatever the case may be, then you do not light candles for Shavuot on um, Sabbath night. However, you can still do the Kiddush. Also, remember that this is Yom, Yom Tov, so this is the opportunity for us to bring a first fruit offering. This is a wonderful time above and beyond your tithe to bring a first root offering of, of the amount that Hashem puts on your heart. It would be a great opportunity to give to the mikvah because uh, this is all about receiving the Torah. And before we received the Torah, we went to the mikvah. The mikvah is, uh, th- those plans are still being done. Everybody, the, the architectural firm and the pool company and all that is working on the plans. Uh, we're going to start construction here uh, very, very soon, hope prayerfully within the next month or, or, or two, it's happening. So you should just know that. We'll have more on that later. But just know that this is a great opportunity and it's a mitzvah, it's a commandment to bring a first fruit offering above and beyond your tithe. And so just know that, that giving to the mikvah would be something really, really good when it comes to uh, Shavuot. All right. Shabbat Shalom. Have a wonderful day. Have a blessed day. We will see everybody in shul tomorrow with God's help. God love each and every one of you, and uh, have a perfect day. Shalom, shalom.